talking on the purpose of resilience this morning. And I'll go ahead and answer the question, why am I talking about resilience? The purpose of resilience is so that we can throughout our entire lifetime honor God, that we can have the, the gumption and the grit and the endurance to run the race, to keep the faith, to stay in the fight. So that's why we're talking about resilience. Now, as believers, we know that the thread of resilience is already in our DNA because we look to Jesus, who is the ultimate resilient one. But there are things that happen in our lifetimes that, that kind of block that part of us that wants to rise up, that wants to get back involved, that wants to make a difference. Because everyone has trials. Everyone has troubles. Here in Florida, we're very familiar with a certain brand of these trials. And every single family goes through health emergencies and sick children and ailing parents and just all types of things. We all have tragedies that happen in our life. And each one of these things cause us to take a step back. I think, well, what, why did that happen? What, what's going on? What, what does this mean for me? Now, I asked this in the first service, and I want to ask this today. How many of you are here, and raise your hand high, if you were born after the event that happened on 9-11? If you were born after, okay, yep, 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 hi, 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 hi. It's, it's quite amazing to think that, that there are people that were not alive when that event happened because it so marked us as a country. But there was a resilience that came to our country after that attack, after that event. And so we know that resilience is something that's needed and necessary. So here's the theme verse for those of us that are resilient. For the righteous man falls seven times. Now, obviously, this is a representation, not a literal number. It just means that we're not going to go through life without pain. We're not going to go through life without trouble. We're not going to go through life without calamity. So we fall seven times, but we rise again. And that's what we're talking about this morning. How do we rise again? What is sown in us that gives us the fortitude to get up and rise again? So let's talk about this. When people refuse to give up on themselves or give up on the world that God has called them to serve, for most of us here, that's why we're here. We've been called to serve the people around us. We've been called to serve our families and our community. When we refuse to give up from the world God has called us to serve, even after tragedy, even after misfortune, we are being resilient. So that's what it means. It's just, it's an ability that we can develop. Certain personalities, people that have sunny dispositions or they're very optimistic, they might always be given to, well, let's try again. But then there are those others of us that are more reflective and our personalities aren't quite so optimistic. And maybe it's hard for us to know that the sun will rise again after a calamity or that God still has a purpose for our life. And that God didn't make a mistake when he placed those gifts and callings in us. So I want to talk about to first, and then I'm going to make a, 
switch in the middle of the sermon. But first, I want to talk about four fundamental areas that we all need to have resilience. It's for almost four different seasons of our life. And without resilience in each one of these circumstances, we're going to find ourselves not reaching the purpose for which we were created. We're going to find ourselves stopping short of the goal of the prize for which we were created. So let's look at the first one. The first one is to overcome obstacles. Now, at Northwest, we do a, um, quite a bit of teaching on how to overcome our past, the, the hurts and the horrors that some of us had in our past. And some of you will be sitting here and think, well, I had a pretty good, my parents were great, you know, they loved me, and we had enough food and whatever that we need. But then some of you are sitting here and you know that you have things that you are still dealing with that happened to you as a child. And so for some of us this morning, the resilience that we need, the thing inside us that needs to rise up and say, I will not let this define me. I will not let that action, I will not let that person, I will not let that event shake me forever going forward. And I wanted to think of an example of someone that we couldn't look at and go, oh, well, that's fine for her, him. Oh, that's fine for her, but they never had my life. They didn't have my mom and dad. They didn't have my household. They didn't have the school that I went to. So I was thinking about it, and I found this young man. Some of us will know him. His name is Nick Vojcic, and his name is harder to spell than it is to pronounce. So Nick Vojcic, he was born to a pastor family. His father was a pastor. And... Um, when he was being born, it was a difficult birth. And if you don't know his story, I invite you to, to Google him. It, he's an amazing young Christian man, just absolutely amazing. He's married and has a full life. But when he was born, as he was being born, it was a difficult birth. And the father said that he was in the room, as all good fathers nowadays need to be, right? <laughs> you got to be in here with me. But as the baby was being, as Nick was being born, the shoulder, one shoulder came out first. And the father saw that there wasn't an arm on that shoulder. And he was concerned that his wife would, would see the confusion and all the different things that were going through his mind on his face. So he just went outside and, and waited out in the waiting room until he could compose himself. Well, in the meantime, you know, minutes later, an hour later, the doctor came out and said, Mr. Wojcic, I'd li like to talk with you. He said, well... You know, I know that my son was born without an arm. I know God has a purpose for everyone that he creates. And we're, my wife and I, we're going to pray and we're going to believe that we'll find that purpose for our son. And the doctor said, I, I don't think you understand. He has no limbs. And the, the pastor, the father, the daddy, said, just was reeling from the shock reeling from the, why, how, how can this possibly serve you? How can this possibly be your will? Why, what if, what did we do? All the questions. And Nick tells in his testimony as he's growing up, he said he was bullied so horribly as a child, and you can, you can imagine. I mean, you get bullied nowadays for having the wrong tennis shoes, 
for not having the right kind of clothes. Just let your mind imagine what it would have been like for that little boy. And he said when he was about seven years old, he told his mother, would you please fill the bathtub? I just want to float in the water. And he said he tried to drown himself. He tried to kill himself because it was so hard to live. But he didn't. And as he got a little bit older, he, had a, he made a personal decision to follow Christ for himself. It wasn't his father's faith. It wasn't his mother's faith. It was his. And so his testimony is truly outstanding. So I encourage you to look that up this week. It is incredibly motivational. And any problems that you feel like you're struggling with, it puts things in perspective. So overcoming obstacles in our past is something that is very real for some people. And resilience is needed in that area. Now, one thing about this, this idea, this concept, this truth about resilience is it's not even. It's not like, well, if you're a resilient person, you're resilient in every area of your life. Well, that's not so. We've all been sown seeds of resilience, and we can see in our bodies, for example, when we catch a cold or we get the flu, we recover. Our bodies bounce back. We, we return to our original so we, we've been given areas where we are resilient, but for some of us, maybe there's an emotional aspect where we just, when we get down, we get all the way down. And it's harder for us to, to buoy ourselves back up and to be resilient. So we, as we go through these four areas where we need to examine how we left the race, have we taken our number off and we're now on the sidelines? because we have not been able to form resilience and stay in the game. So the first one is to overcome the obstacles in childhood. The second is to steer everyday adversities. Now, some of us are like, well, you know, my childhood wasn't that bad. And you're like, okay, it's a little bit more in perspective. And, but life, I think there's an insurance commercial that says life comes at you fast. I don't remember which one that was. But it's true. You, you wake up and you don't know which day you're going to have an argument with your boss. You don't know which day you're going to be in disagreement with your spouse. Every day brings adversities. And some of us need to figure out how to get resilience as part of our arsenal in the, our day-to-day -day life. We're not waiting for some big calamity to hit us. We need to get back in the game emotionally, maybe physically, spiritually, because every day we feel like we're facing a foe. So let's read who the, the premier apostle who went through adversities was Paul. He's our go-to guy for adversities except for Jesus because um, he went through it. And I, I'm still trying to figure out why he ever had anyone that would travel with him because he was always being stoned or beaten or starved or run out of town or shipwrecked and all these different things. But this, on this occasion, he had his companion Silas. He usually traveled with younger men. He would mentor them and disciple them, father them in some cases. So we have a situation where Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. I think they had healed someone and the crowds loved it until they didn't love it anymore. So it says a mob quickly formed. Now, <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Because you know when you're trying to get a committee together, when you're trying to get people organized and moving in, it takes forever. I mean, it's like, come on, you said you were going to be here. Well, I changed my mind. Come on, you said you'd help us. Well, I changed my mind. That takes forever. But here, 
Let's, let's get them. They're, they're doing bad things. Let's go get them. And then the mob quickly forms. I, I just, that just strikes me as funny. The mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. It says they were severely beaten. Now, this is their everyday life. This is their everyday adversity, because I don't believe there was a period of time in Paul's life where, where it was roses. He was constantly fighting against people that had bad theology, people that were, were trying to cause the churches to go astray, people that, that, that needed salvation, people that needed deliverance. So for Paul, this was an everyday thing. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. It's hard for us to put ourselves in that, any semblance, any resemblance of that place. Think of the hardest thing you struggled through last week. Maybe it was the flu. Maybe it was, but you weren't beaten with rods and you weren't thrown in jail. And yet hours later, we find them singing, praying. The other prisoners were what? What were the other prisoners doing? They were listening. And I want to encourage you, people are watching you. Those of us that say, we follow Christ, we follow Jesus, he is our Lord, he is our master, we follow him. And people are watching those of us that say, I've been forever marked by the cross. And when we go through adversity, we go through everyday struggles that are common to everyone, and we are moaning and groaning and complaining and woe is me and the sky is falling. That's not who we serve. That's not who we follow. They were singing and the prisoners were listening. Friends, your children are listening. Your spouse is listening. Your friends are listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Just trying to visualize scripture is amazing. Just, just try to picture what that felt like, what that looked like. All of the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I think that's so interesting. Not just Paul and Silas's chains, but everyone within the sound of their voice, their chains fell off. I know there's a principle in there for us somewhere. That the people who hear you, will they be set free when they hear you? Or will they re remain in darkness? Remain in chains? Well, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. A normal assumption. And he drew his sword to kill himself. Why? What a strange thing. In those, those times, the Romans, if you let a prisoner escape, you forfeited your life. So he was ready to kill himself. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. 
the jailer called for the lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked the million dollar question based upon how they faced their adversity. What must I do? What must I do to be like you? What must I do to face adversity like you? What must I do? The Bible says he was saved and his entire household. People are watching how you go through everyday adversity. They're watching. The next way is people have to sometimes bounce back and move forward. These are, these are serious things. These aren't just I had a, a fight with my husband or I had a fight with my boss. These are, these are serious things. Children dying, divorce. This divorce is a serious, it's a crisis. How do we not only get back up, but how do we move forward? What kind of internal strength, which we're calling resilience, is needed for that? I'll tell you a story of um, these two women. It was 1979, and there was a, a woman named Cindy Lamb. She was driving, just an ordinary day, ordinary day. She had her seven-and-a-half-month-old daughter, Laura, with her. And coming, roaring down the street, hitting her head-on at 120 miles an hour, was a drunk driver. This man had two other citations for drunk driving, but his license had not been taken away. Not even a year later, a young mother is driving, excuse me, a young girl is walking. Her name's Carrie, Carrie Leitner. She had left a circus that her school was, had put on, and she was walking to her baseball game. A man with multiple convictions, license was taken away, struck and killed her. So when you go through something like this, this isn't just I had a bad day. This is something that has the potential to derail you for the rest of your life. Losing a child, caring for a baby, an infant now that is now quadriplegic. These two women got together and they formed, most of you know this organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And for 20 years, they have been in the helping change legislation to keep people that are drugged from driving, to support families that have been injured, in drunk driving or drugged driving incidents and just to support them, to be there for them. They not only got back up from a, a horrific, life-changing incident, but they moved on to make a difference in their world. The last one is to reach out and achieve our goals and dreams. This takes another kind of resilience because the, the three that we talked about are reactionary. We're reacting to things that have happened to us. But this last one is a, a mental or, excuse me, an internal grit that we need that we're calling resilience. When maybe things aren't happening, but you're just kind of stuck. Sometimes we, Pastor Mark and I talk with a lot of people that are going through what we call nowadays a midlife crisis. And that basically means you're, you feel like, you know, I've, I've lived half of my life and I don't really know what I've done. I mean, I've got a nice job and 
I'm married, but man, I'm not extremely happy. My wife doesn't seem to respect me anymore, and my kids certainly aren't giving me any kind of fulfillment. They're off. So there's that resilience that needs to come for people to finish the race, like Paul said. I fought a good fight. Man, I stayed in the race. And I kept the faith to finish the last half, which we believe the Bible teaches the end of something is better than the beginning of something. I know in our culture, it's like the older you get, the, 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 the less is expected or the less you can do. Or, but that's not a biblical teaching. And the teaching, the better half, the end half is better. So how do we finish the race strong to make new dreams, to make new goals? Let's talk about that. Now, what I'd like to do here is I want to kind of switch switch gears for, um, to the end. And what we would normally do now is say, okay, I'm going to give you five things that will teach you how to build resilience. But I'm not going to do that. What I want to do instead is give you some principles to sow into your children and into your grandchildren. And I'll tell you why I'm doing it this way. When I give you these, these are basically the same types of things, but I want to make sure that you get it in a way that you can pass it on. Not just get it and, oh, that's really nice. I'm going to change that. And it, and it goes no further. I want you to, I want to say it in a way that you can immediately pass it on to your grandchild or to your child or to a neighbor's child. So just, but to start, I'm going to do this very quickly. To start, there's a baseline. There's a baseline. You know, you go to the doctor and you get tests and they always do base, what they call baseline tests. That means you start here and from there we find out where we need to go, what we need to do. Well, for this, for our children, there are three things that are baseline and we won't spend any time with them because they're baseline. If, if you're not doing one of these three things, stop everything and start working on these things. The first, of course, is unconditional love. We know, No surprise, no, what? I've never heard that before. This is the baseline, unconditional love. Your child needs to know that I am loved here. In this family, I am loved. Doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. Doesn't mean you don't get on to them and, and train them and make corrections. But they need to know, no matter what, you love them. The second thing that is baseline is security. They have to be able to say, I am safe here. I am safe in this home. I am safe with my mommy. I'm safe with my dad. I'm safe with my nana. I'm safe with my pop-ups. I'm safe with my uncle. I'm safe with my aunt. I am safe here. That's another baseline. And just really quick, don't have time to say it, but I'm going to anyway. On the unconditional love, I do, it absolutely blows my mind that the one thing that every person that is born on the face of the planet, it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what country, every person needs love from their mom and their dad and the people that, that their connection, they need love. And I think it is absolutely amazing that the one thing that every person needs is who God says he is. In 1 John, it says, God is love. He doesn't have love. He doesn't throw love. He is love. And the one thing that everyone craves and has to have is who he is. I love that. It thrills me. 
to think and meditate on the goodness of God. The third thing is every child baseline can't get around it. Don't try to go around this. They need to feel connected to at least one parent. Now, some of y'all are going, phew, but they need that. And that child needs to be able to say, I belong here. In this family, with this mommy, with this daddy, I belong here. Now that's baseline. Now let's look at some things that we can put into our children that as they grow, they'll be able to take those things that happen in school, take those things that happen when they go out on their own and change adversity, change problems, change calamities into a strength and a core inside them. So first thing is competence. Now the first two, I'm going to put the other one up here, even as I say, these two are in order for a, a particular reason. Competence is something that every child needs to have. And mommy and daddy, Nana and Pop-Ops, it's your job to help your child feel competent. That means every child is born with gifts and talents. And you know, you can kind of tell one child might be, have a disposition that's bent this way. Maybe they're more musical. Maybe another child has a bent that you can tell they're going to be athletic. Perhaps some child has a, has a gift. You can see early they have a propensity for numbers. But you can see, and it's the parent's job to draw those things out of them and to put good things into them about their gifting, about their talent. Because that is one of the things that God has given them that he will use for his glory in the body of Christ. Competence. You cannot make a child have resilience by just telling them, oh, honey, we need to say that we love you, but oh, you're just so special. Everything about you is special. It needs to be specific, linked to something that they know how to do. As they're little, when they tie their shoes, Wow, you're the best shoe tire ever. You can tie your shoes. When they Have you ever noticed how little children are constantly saying, Mommy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Look what I can do. Have you noticed that? On and on and over and over. Why do they do that? Because they're looking for someone to say, You're good at that. I see that that's being developed in you. And competence is what they need for confidence. They will never have confidence if they've not learned a skill, if they've not learned a way of behaving in the world that is particular and unique to them, something that mom and dad see, and that's our job, to see what is special about them in a way that translates into some action that they can do. That creates confidence, and that confidence is the springboard for resilience later on. And, and competence, by the way, it's not just as you're a child growing and your parents are watching, wow, you, you really are good in math or you know how to compose a song and, or things like that. As we get older, I think that that is a big part of middle-age dilemmas because the person has reached the end of their competence in that area. Maybe that with the field that they're in that's been taken over by, you know, young whippersnappers or the computer or whatever. And it's like, I don't feel like I've got anything to offer anymore. I've got nothing that nobody wants anymore. Who needs me? My wife doesn't need me. My kids don't need me. And competence is something we need to develop on and on and on, not just, well, that was fine for her. She's 12. I'm 50. I'm 40, whatever. 
keep growing. That's why we always say keep developing new skills, have a passion for life, keep learning. Because one day you will be hit with, wow, that skill is not really useful anymore. That's run its course. And you need to keep learning to keep competence. Competence. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Okay. Character, this is a no-brainer here. Your child needs to know, have in them a fundamental sense of right and wrong. What? What do I need that for? Ask every policeman who's ever arrested someone. Right and there's wrong. And sometimes it's gray. I mean, sometimes, especially in the world today, it's hard. What's wrong with that? It's not illegal. What's wrong with that? It's not right and wrong. It's, it's, it's not hard to teach it, but to, to, to live it in such a way that when they see you living, you're not contradicting what you're telling them to do. It's hard for some parents, but it's got to be in there for them to be resilient because it reflects the faithfulness of God, God's character. We want our children to see that, know that, and reflect that. Connection this one's really, really, really important. And I, one of the things that I love about Northwest is that we stress connection for our children. We don't wait until they're off to college or, or old enough to you know, buy their own home or have a car or whatever. We, from an early age, teach them that this church needs the gift that God has placed in you. Let's help you find out what that gift is. Let's help you find out what God has, has fashioned in you that you would be really good at not to pigeonhole them, but to give them a place to start to develop what God has placed inside them. And we know that children that are going to thrive, children that are going to have that sense of, you know what? That really sucks. I really hated when they did that. I really hated that that went down that way, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going until I reach the goal that I've set for myself, that God has set for me. Those children need to be connected in a community, in a family, in a church. I think it's interesting that when you watch these shows on TV, um, like court shows or lawyer shows, whatever, when the lawyer is advocating for their client, whether or not the client is guilty, I mean, that's another sermon, but the, the lawyer always says, um, judge, I think that um, Tom Dooley should be allowed out on bail because you know what they always say? He has what? Connections in the community. He has ties to the community. It's important because that means you're not some weird, no, weird loner somewhere. You have ties. People know you. People know where you live. They know where your kids go to school. They know you. That's important for your child to learn. I have connect. People know me here. People have my back, not just mom and dad, but people at this church have my back. Okay, we'll keep going. Contributions next to last. It is a powerful thing when your child realizes, comes to the understanding that he or she has something to contribute, whether it's to the family or at school helping his teacher or helping a classmate do their math. <clears throat> 
at church. We'll, we'll make sure that we're careful here to let the children contribute. That's one of the things that we do differently too. We expect them to do things around the church. We don't say, oh, you're too little. Let's get your, you know, your mom. No, we expect them to contribute because that builds their sense of self. When they can contribute to the family, like maybe doing the dishes or making the salad or helping their younger sister or brother with homework, making contributions builds them. It goes to their competence. People are relying on them for that. It's not like the whole world would, would tip on its axis if they didn't. Mom and dad are there, but they need to know they can contribute something to the welfare, the well-being of the family that they're in. Don't wait until they're teenagers to start giving them things to do around the house. When they're little, it should be the air they breathe. They have something to contribute to this family. They're important in this family. They're important in this church. They're important as they get older in the community. Let them know they have something to contribute and let them contribute it. Think, well, I'll just have to redo it once they've done it. That's okay. Don't let them see you redoing it. It makes more work for us in the beginning, but at the end, at the end, you know, there's a difference between enjoyment and satisfaction. There really is. I mean, in the moment, you can be really enjoying something that, you know, either maybe, maybe, you, maybe it's not that you shouldn't be doing it, but it's just enjoyable, but but satisfaction is when, when the day ends, when that year ends, when that season ends. Satisfaction is, I feel good. I, I, I did what I thought I should do. And sometimes we let enjoyment in the moment take the place of what we need to feel, which is satisfaction. We won't always feel satisfaction from enjoyment. But when we can do those things, especially as it relates to our children, that we might not enjoy in the moment, but at the end of the summer, at the end of the day, at the end of the school year, we will feel satisfied because we've done what was right for those children. The last thing is control. We'll end with this. Control gets the bad rap because I know there's some people that are labeled control freaks, and that just basically means you try to control everyone around you and every situation around you. And we know, of course, that that's not possible. You make yourself miserable, you make everyone else miserable. So what I mean by control is you want your children to know that they have some say in their life. Now, obviously, this is age appropriate. But for example, if you, mom, or you, dad, are always telling them what to do, from, from an age on, always making the decisions. They will not have the chance, the good and the bad that comes with making your own decisions as far as the consequences, the bad ones, but also the good ones. They need the opportunity to make decisions while they're still young. They need the opportunity to make decisions while you're still there and you can help be a buffer. They don't wanna be making their first decisions when they're 18 and on their own. That's not a good thing to have. And the other thing is, and you may stand with me on this and we'll close, is as you're thinking about how much control do I give my child, what do I teach them about internal control and self-control? 
teach them that the one thing they can control is themselves, their own emotions. I think about what a wonderful gift God gave us when he gave us emotions, that you can feel that, that feeling of love for your spouse or for your mom, for your children. You can feel the warmth of friendship and all those things that make us healthy on the inside. But then I also think about the other emotions that, that, that have the tendency to take over. I mean, very rarely will you be taken over with the feeling of warmth and you, you just have to act on it. Usually it's more like anger. And you feel like, I feel this feeling, so I'm gonna act on it. Or lust. I feel this feeling, I'm gonna act on I have to act on it. If we can teach our children that they are not what they feel, because they feel something doesn't mean they have to automatically do it. If you can teach your children that, how far ahead will they be with self-control? So they're not ruled by consensus, but they're ruled by conscience. How far would they stand out as a young citizen follows their conscience and their conscience has been shaped by the word of God, shaped by right and wrong, not by consensus of their friends. We have such a job to do. I'll ask Pastor David to join me. I just wanna close with this. The purpose of resilience is for us to honor God until he calls us home. Because there will be so many times you'll wanna give up. There'll be so many times you want to go, I just quit, this just isn't worth it. We need that inner strength that says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop doing what God's called me to do. I'm not going to give up on myself. I'm not going to give up on my children. I'm not going to give up on my family. I'm not going to give up on this idea that God has a purpose for me. That takes resilience because the enemy and everything around you will say, if it doesn't feel good, you don't need to spend any time doing it. If it doesn't feel good, everyone, we need to all be in agreement that everything we do is about feeling good. We have to resist that. And we have to embrace the fact that God has created us with this core. That when we depend on him, we can do the right thing. And as Paul says, I fought the good fight. I stood up for injustice. I stood up for the weak. I stood up for those who couldn't care for themselves. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I cared for my family. I provided for them. I loved them. I served them. I served our church. I served my community. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I didn't curse God in the middle of all this. I didn't say, why me? I don't understand why me. Why me? The resilience say, okay, what do I do now? What's next? What do I do now? Amen. I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Dave to close. We love you. We want the best for you. So I just wanna say, get up. There's someone here that needs to hear that. Get up. Get up. Don't quit. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on wanting to provide for the people that God has placed in your care. Don't quit. God is for you. 
Amen. Amen. Um, before we pray, uh, your, your sermon made me think of two of my favorite people from history. One is Jesus, and then the other is William Wilberforce. And I'll spare you the long details, but it is Wilberforce because of whom um, slavery was eradicated in England. If you haven't heard about this man, please do some research. One of the most phenomenal people in all of history. And he, his resilience mirrored Jesus in one way that is just amazing. Um, one of his political foes, so it took him 40 years to get slavery done, right? Um, 20 years to make it illegal to trade, and then 20 years. And imagine going and fighting every day and like the whole country and all of your political opponents being against you, the defeat you'd go home with every day. But he, he just stayed on. And then one of his political foes wrote this about him. He said, he is blessed with a very sufficient amount of that enthusiastic spirit that is so far from yielding that he grows stronger from blows. The more you hit him, the stronger he gets. Where do you think he got that from? The world took a sledgehammer to Jesus and released power unimaginable. And you have access to that. He gives it, gives it to us if we want it. So I wanna pray that we want it. You guys ready to pray? you have some weakness and be blessed today. Lord, we thank you that you have given us access to you who gives the energy and the strength to take on any task. And one of the greatest tasks is raising our children. Lord, help us to instill all of these things in them. And thank you that we're not done having these instilled in us and that you place us in a church and in a family where we're surrounded by men and women who want to instill those things in us further. So we thank you for that. Make us more resilient like your son. And we ask all of this and we bless your name in the name of Jesus, our King. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. We love you guys. We'll see you in small group this week.